This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by the 2017 ERLC National Conference, August 24th through 26th in Nashville, Tennessee. This year's theme is Christ-Centered Parenting in a Complex World. You go to ERLC.com slash events for more information. What important things do parents need to know if they want to pass on the faith to their children? Today, we talk with a veteran pastor, parent, and church leader, Chap Bettis. He's the author of a brand new book, The Disciple-Making Parent, a guidebook for raising your children to love and follow Jesus Christ. He's a frequent conference speaker. He's the director of the Apollos Project, which is a ministry dedicated to apologetics and parenting. He's got some great insights for young parents on some of the important things to try to instill in our kids as we release them to the Lord's service. I think you'll enjoy our conversation with Chap Bettis. Well, I'm so glad to have Chap Bettis here on the Way Home Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Well, it's a a joy to be with you. So um, I'm here for a few reasons, but selfishly, I'm here to talk about parenting. And uh, as, a, as a dad, I'm in the throes of parenting our own kids. We have four children. And uh, your book that just came out is called The Disciple-Making Parent, a comprehensive guidebook for raising your children to love and follow Jesus Christ. And I'm very interested in it in a number of reasons, because you pastored for a number of years you're in the ministry like I am, and uh, also your your kids are grown, and so you've got the the ability to look back and... and uh, and wisdom on all the things you did, so um, including the mistakes. But <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. First, I want to just talk. What kind of motivated you to to write the book? I mean, obviously, you've probably had these thoughts in your head for a while after having your own parenting experience and and pastoring and teaching people probably in your church about parenting. Uh, but what kind of encouraged you to put this down on paper and, and do this? Well, I, I think it actually began even further back than that because I I grew up. Uh, in a Christian home in Alabama, and um, you know, I think I truly accepted the Lord when I was around eight. But I had a bumpy transition to uh, an adult faith, right? intellectual questions, and saw hypocrisy in my church. So when I went to my secular secular college, I would have said Jesus may be church in a way. Um, uh, and eventually, God used a number of circumstances to draw me back to Himself. So then. Fast forward a few years, I ended up staying in New England to to plant a church. And when my wife and I started having our own kids, I thought, okay, let's let me think through this. How how am I going to help them, Lord willing, follow Christ as an adult? And having the privilege to study the Word as a pastor, and then God also brought some supernaturally some like minded parents, and we were just discovering um, through the Word, and and then as we raised our kids together how to be intentional and scriptural, and I, and I hope gospel-focused. So, so that was really what motivated me to put some of these thoughts down. I, I know there are some resources out there, but I didn't, I didn't see anything that I thought was, was, was just richly biblical and practical, uh, having been through the throes of parenting. Mm. So that's, those are some of the things that motivated me. You mentioned just in your, in your background that you grew up in the church— and one of the things I really like about your book is that you you address what I think is under-addressed at times in parenting material, 
is second generation Christians. There's there's kind of a unique experience that second generation Christians endure or, or go through in terms of wrestling with their faith. If you've if you've always known the faith, um, that's, that's kind of the purpose of my book, Real. You know, kind of helping Christians who've grown up in the church think yep. through their faith. Maybe we could start by you just talking about what is unique about you know, those who grow up in, in the church and some of the unique struggles that they might have. Well, I, I think a lot of it's rooted, I would argue, in Second Timothy 3.14, where Paul says to Timothy, continue on what you have learned and become convinced of. And I would suggest that that, that is a typical uh, process for those who grow up in a Christian home, that, that they learn the faith, but then there's, there's going to be a second time when, when it becomes their own. And that's true when I've asked people, when I've asked those who've grown up in a Christian home, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I, I received Christ when I was such and such an age, young age. And then I'll often follow up and say, was, was there a time when, it became, when your faith became your own? And they would say, yes, absolutely. Or 95% would say yes. Um, so I, to me, that's typical, as opposed to adults, who I, I think have, uh, for some reason, or older teenagers who become Christians in a non-Christian home, they, they, for some reason, have turned their back already on the world and followed Christ. For those who've grown up in a Christian home, this is all they've ever known. Um, um, and so I think there's a real wrestling, whether there's intellectual doubts or doubts about temptation, do I want to follow Christ and his, his standards, that really has to make that second you know that, that that second decision. They're not. We're not following because we have to. We're following because we're convinced. Yeah, that that is so true. And there seems like a time in every person's life where they have to actually make it their own. I, I mean, I think of you know how it talks about Moses. You know, refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Like there was a kind of a turning point in his life. Um, I think about Timothy. You know, when it talks about passing on the faith from grandmother to mother to, to child, and and sort of that transfer. You know, passing the baton, and so uh, that, that that's in large part what you're talking about in this book, and I I, I really encouraged about it. Um, you know, it's interesting. I grew up in the church, um, kind of learned a lot about parenting and child raising just by osmosis. But then, when I actually had my kids, there's a sense of inadequacy that really falls over you as a parent and as a dad as you move through the seasons of life with your kids. So can you speak to, you know, there's probably a lot of parents listening, maybe on their way to work or the way home from work or jogging or doing things, and they're they're feeling like I often feel that, man, I just, this parenting job, this being a dad, is just really too big for me. I don't know if I can do this, if I'm equipped to do this. Well, I, I think I would say good. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul said, when I'm weak, I, I am strong. And so part of our Part of being a strong parent is realizing I do my best parenting on my knees, that it is beyond me. Um, I can I may be able to control their behavior when they're young, but to actually, you know, influence their heart and 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 walk with them and disciple them in a godly way is beyond us. But so so in one sense I'd say good, but I'd also say the second thing I'd say is God in his supernatural wisdom chose to entrust those children to you. And and I think that's part of God's process to mature us as parents. So you say we grew up in, you grew up in the church. Well often when we go to church and we're sitting and we're listening to things, uh, talk, teaching and we say, Oh, I've got that, I've got that. But actually we don't really have it until we have to articulate it. So we have to 
um, put it into practice. And so, so actually, I, I think the children are given to us to raise us. Child training is a misnomer, really. In, in many ways, it's parent training. And so what God is doing is maturing us as parents, and so he gives us little kids for a reason. And then, for, so, okay, how do I learn how to do this? Okay, well, now here's a new challenge. Hmm, okay, how do I learn how to do this? Let me go talk to, to my friends or read some information. And it's, and it's part of God's process to mature us as, as adults. Mm. You know, I've often said that God gives us kids to sanctify us <laughs> because nothing, you know, nothing reveals your sin patterns that you didn't even know you had until you have four kids running around your house testing you every second. Yes. Well, that's, that's, I mean, I, I wish the church would say the first place you, and hardest place you live out the gospel is the home. Here are these principles, now go live them out in your home. And that's the hardest place because, you know, who knows how to push your buttons? Uh, you know, so yeah, absolutely. You, you talk about myths parents often believe. What are those myths? Well, I think one, one related to, if I get this idea that I should be a disciple-making parent, one is, well, if, if we have the perfect environment, then it will guarantee that my children will follow the Lord. Um, so the truth is we're, we're raising kids. We're not making a cake. So um, this, it's not a cookbook. And our kids have a will. God has given them with a will. So we can influence our children, but we don't control them. And what that means, therefore, is so my goal then is to be a faithful parent. And it can't, it can't be successful parenting because then if they turn out well, I take pride in that. If they turn out poorly, I'm ashamed. No, it's, it's to be faithful and then trust God with the results. So, so the first is, oh my gosh, I have to have the perfect environment or they're going to, you know, they're going to they're gonna be broken. The truth is they come broken already through sin. Um, to us. Um, another one can be, really, if I grab onto this um, and I want to pass the gospel to them, another one, another myth can be, well, then that's the ultimate goal of my Christian life, is my kids to follow the Lord, my identity is found in them. Uh, and if they do well, then, then you know, there's pride on my part, and if they don't, like I just said, um, we feel shame. But the truth is, our identity is in Christ. We can't, we can't make an idol out of our children. And then probably a third myth, which is going to be a temptation. W- one temptation would be it's all up to the church, and then the other temptation on the other side is it's all up to me. And the truth is that we need a healthy local church with healthy leadership that preaches the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it takes a church. And mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for the other examples it, that my children had. They had aunts and uncles in the faith that they could... I could point to them because they could see all my sin. They'll see all my sin. I'm like, well, go have lunch with Mrs. So and so, you know, as they get older, um, mm-hmm. and and see what she says about this conflict we're having. And mm-hmm. So we we really do need the Church of Christ. You know, I want to expand on that myth a little bit because I, I really have seen that just in in my own life that um, it seems like like you described. There's kind of two wrong approaches. One would be we see a lot where we kind of delegate to the church to kind of disciple our kids that, you know, you go to Sunday school, go to Awana clubs, go to uh, VBS, uh, go to church on Sunday, and uh, the church will take care of that without any kind of personal discipleship from parents to kids in the home, you know, kind of catechizing our kids. Uh, On the other hand, I've also seen a kind of temptation to, um, 
burrow in with a kind of fortress mentality as families and not really involve our kids in the life of a healthy church community or or reach out to others who might uh, maybe be a few laps ahead of us to give us wisdom on parenting or or, or recognize that it's not all our our own. It seems like those are the two temptations, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you've got, you've got issues, you know, you've got issues with, with each on the one hand, you know, I love a youth program, a children's program, but I'm the, I'm the primary uh, disciple maker. So mm-hmm. scripture shows that. Studies show that. My kids are studying my example twenty four seven, and God has entrusted these these kids to me. And they're not just you know they're not just children; they're eternal souls that God has given me to influence. But then, having said that, because of indwelling sin. Um, you know, I need other people and with community with all its problems, you know, you, and community is going to have issues, but, but it's also a huge blessing as well. And it corrects me with blind spots. Again, we were able, they're different gifts. And so, uh, my children had different, different mentors, which I'm so thankful for. Um, just in, in, they were able to say, okay, here's somebody else who follows Christ but sees things a little differently or expresses it differently in different words. And, mm-hmm. um, and then my wife and I needed that several times. We'd go to other people and just say, mm-hmm. what are we not seeing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you, what do you see in us that, what are the blind spots? Are we being overly harsh, loose? Um, what did you do in this situation? And that's, that's the blessing of having wise, older Christians um, and, and peers. If you're going through some of the same things. Talk to us parents about why it's important to have a heart connection with our children. What do you mean by that? Well, the, the heart's the most important real estate of our children. Um, and so it's easy just to contr- try to control behavior. And, you know, if they're well-behaved, everything's going well. If they're not, uh, then we're embarrassed. But, you know, the scripture says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart's the most important part. So we want to make sure we know what is going on um, with them and connecting and connecting our hearts as well. So, and that's, that's why, to me, parents who sort of take their kids to church and just go through the motions, and then they're surprised when they walk away. The reason is that they haven't connected with their heart. They haven't been communicating with them all along, uh, finding out what, what they're thinking. And so there's different ways you could, you can do this, but, but to realize, am I connected to my kid's heart? One of the, one of the things I did that, that, uh, probably paid off the most emotionally was just taking my kids out for donuts, um, one-on-one. And we had four kids running around two years apart and man, you know, I mean, t- similar to your, your situation, this was crazy. And I you know, barely remember their names sometime. And I was a busy pastor. But when I took one kid out and we sat down and I'm, you know, who are you and who's your best friend and what's your favorite subject at school and what are you worried about these days and different questions like that, um, to actually focus, you know, on this child. And now I've connected with that, you know, with that child. So, so to allow God to grow us as communicators, asking good questions and then, and then listening. Good. That's really good. Help us as parents too. How do we make good decisions on 
okay, what are the big things we need to emphasize and make important? And what are the things that we need to kind of let go? Or how do we, how do we know when we're majoring on the major things uh, and we're not making mountains out of molehills? I mean, what, what's a kind of grid that parents can, can use when they're trying to make those decisions real time? <laughs> Well, what age are you talking about when you're when you're thinking about that? Well, I mean, my kids are not uh, teenagers yet, but my oldest is twelve, and you know, my youngest is five. So you're you're kind of in those early formative years, you know. Yeah. Well, I I think so. So part of living the gospel out at home is our home a joyful place? You know, we reflect the Trinity in our home, and there's joy, there's honor. There's love, there's affection. And so this is, that's part of connecting to the heart. So it, is our place a, a joyful place? When they're young, you know, I, part of the, I think it's important to, to have good control and good obedience and that type of thing. But then as they get older, you're, you're connecting to the, you're, you're asking questions. Why? You know, if you have a child has a temper tantrum at, Five, you don't ask why, or three, you don't ask why, you just deal with it. But at 13, you're like, hey, man, what's going on? So that's those are different skills. The other thing is just, you know, I talk about this, my example. Am I, am I loving Christ? Do they see that? You know, our kids pick up on what we're excited about. And if, if we're excited about the Lord, you know, then that's, they're going to pick up on that. My kid, you know, I wanted my kids to say at the end of the day, I know my dad loved, loved Jesus and he loved me. and then you can navigate. Then you can navigate when you have to. If there's love and affection and joy and discipline and control, and the kids know you're on their side, now you can navigate the times you have to say no. Mm-hmm. Now you can. Now you can. You can come down and say no. We're not going to do that. Or here's the discipline for the situation or whatever. But I love you. Mm-hmm. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about um, you address. The teen years, particularly when, when you know, so a lot of people in our audience are, that are listening have kids that are teenagers, and perhaps some of them are um, wrestling with doubts about Christianity. Maybe they grew up in the church, but they're still wrestling with it. How should parents handle when teens have questions about the faith or are may, uh, wrestling with, with doubts? Well, that's, that's a great question. I, so I, I would start by saying, First of all, if they express it to you, that's great, because now that shows that you have a communicative relationship. I think one study found that often doubts have started, like 40% of young people have started as as, uh, young as junior high. So to me, I assume that doubts is just a part of growing up in the Christian faith. So just we expect the body to change, we we expect, I would expect that doubts would happen. I know, I know I had them. But then having said that, I think proactively uh, inviting that communication and saying, yeah, it's, it's fine to have questions. Let's talk about those. And then along with that is either proactively addressing uh, some of those through some apologetics material. And there's just a, there's tons out there today, which is great. But also having a, a rock confidence that there are answers that, that mm-hmm. There is, we, we don't just believe out of thin air. Um, the New Testament documents are incredibly reliable. Um, and just just saying, okay, here, God's given me another assignment. We're going to go. We're going to go figure this out together. I I may not know, know offhand. Uh, you know, pick a question: Why the Gospels are reliable? But I'm not going to be threatened by you 
asking that question or bringing that question home from school. Let's go figure it out. So just, I would say, A, expecting it, B, talking about it, saying, hey, this may come up. Don't be worried about it. And then, and then C, saying, let's go get some answers together. Hmm. You know, it, it seems like I, I read a study from, um, I think Kara Powell did this with her institute at Fuller and studied that, you know, kids who are allowed to kind of vocalize their doubts and wrestle with those and have those kind of discussions were most likely to actually stay in the faith because they were able to kind of have those discussions at home at the dinner table. And that seems to make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, again, you go back to, if, if, if I understand Timothy learned and became convinced of, and I expect a similar, something similar with my children. And yeah, look, they have a childlike faith and that's great, but now that's, their body is changing, their mind is changing. And so they're going to transition into uh, an adult-like faith. And, and part of that includes, hmm, let me, let me ask these questions. Let me articulate, um, articulate those and, and, and get real answers to those. So I, I mean, I, I remember growing up in a Christian. I remember distinctly sitting in my church in Alabama as a high school senior, junior, and saying, "How do I know we're not just a bunch of people that like to get together and sing songs and hear a lecture?" You know what? How do I really know God exists? Mm-hmm. How do I really know Jesus rose from the dead and it's not a myth and and those type of things? And, and um, it wasn't until college that I got answers. But I was I was certainly having those those uh, doubts in high school, and the doubt and the, and then the other doubt, which is the way the devil uh, tempted Adam and Eve. It's not only is Christianity true, but is Christianity good? Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different doubt, which mm-hmm. is which is to say, well, you know, I know some people if they're in high school, uh, I know some people who are sleeping together, and lightning's not striking them. So why is the biblical ethic good? Um, when Jesus said. I came to give you uh, life and life abundantly. And that's the way, you know, of course, in Genesis 3, the devil tempted Eve. God God knows that you'll be like him. God is withholding something good from you. Um, and so to be able to give an apologetic that way as well, to say, yeah, the, the Christian way, the, the, the ethics of Jesus are not only true, but they're, they're good. Well, if you're a parent like me, you know that your kids are asking pretty difficult questions. Questions about race, questions about gender, questions about sexuality. As parents, how do we answer those questions? Well, the ERLC is hosting a conference this August on Christ-centered parenting in a complex world. We're going to have a variety of voices and experts to speak. Russell Moore, Sally Lloyd-Jones, Jim Daly, Jen Wilkin, Crawford Loritz, Phil Vischer, Nancy Guthrie, Danny Aiken, Lauren Chandler, Eric Mason, and many more. So we invite you to come join us in Nashville on August 24th to 26th. And if you use a coupon code, WAYHOME, you'll get a 20% discount. So go to ERLC.com events and get signed up for the 2017 ERLC National Conference, Christ-Centered Parenting in a Complex World. parents, you know, who, again, we talked a little bit about being intimidated, but in terms of really discipling our kids, 
in the scriptures, what that looks like. I mean, every family probably does it a little differently, but speak to the the importance of being intentional about teaching our kids the scriptures, teaching them the gospel uh, at home. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. Um, I I would say if I'm convinced as a father of the scriptures in in making an impact, and my job is to nourish my kids in the Word. Jesus said. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so our, our goal is to nourish our kids, not force feed them. And so figuring out what does that look like, given my context, but also saying, you know what? We actually do take time to eat, and we need to take time to nourish, be nourished spiritually in the Word. And so that can look all different ways, but I've got to, I've got to own that responsibility as a parent. So, you know... Uh, most Sunday school, well, first of all, making sure they're in church. Most Sunday schools have some sort of follow-up doing that at the very least. Um, uh, having some sort of devotional time at night around their bed or storybooks laying around. Doing some sort of family devotions. And I'm, I'm glad to see there's resurgence. And, and you know, I, you, know you want to make somebody feel inadequate start talking about family devotions. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know... I just think it's just a matter of opening up the word that that's here's where I differ from the saints of old. I just make it low key, just five minutes opening. They see dad opening up the word. I mean, that's on a regular basis. If you, if I was a pastor and here I am, I've written this book. And I mean, if you could have seen my family devotion, sometimes you would have <laughs> been horrified or you would have laughed, you know, mm-hmm. but it, you just, you get up, you start again, you say, okay, hey guys, I've been neglecting the Word, we're just going to, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're just going to open up the Word. Mm. So, there's all sorts of fun ways, there's, there's tons of resources out, and it, it, there's no one right way, just pick one that, that works for your family, mm-hmm. um, and just be consistent, and know that it's not the, it's not the magic bullet, what's, what's, but what's happening there is they're seeing, they're seeing you value the Word, and you're just mentioning something about the Word. You're obeying Deuteronomy 6, and they know that the Word of God comes in when I rise up and when I, when I lay down, when I walk along the road. So it's just a natural part of our life. Mm-hmm. We're, just, we're, just putting, we're just putting one brick in at a time. You're not, you're not trying to pour everything in. You're just one brick at a time. The last thing we want is for our kids to hate the Word of God. I once heard uh, Don Whitney say, any parent can do it. If you can read and pray, then uh, you can you can disciple your kids and you can do family worship. <laughs> That's really good. Um, and it seems like, too, you talk about this in the book, but beyond the formal times, there's so much opportunity to to kind of be applying lessons as things progress and as things happen in the home and over the course of life, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's to me part of, if I get this idea, I'm living out the gospel at home, and, and the Bible speaks to that, then, then there's all sorts of scriptural lessons, again, without beating our kids on the head, oh my gosh, everything my dad said was the Bible, that's not, that's not what we're doing, we're just, we love the Word, Deuteronomy 6 says that these words I give you today are to be on your heart, so it's, it's what's apparent, and then it's out of that overflow that we're just naturally... And we're naturally sharing something. We're sharing, oh, this is what I this is what I learned. Or, okay, well here's how this verse specifically, you know, applies. 
obey and submit to authorities. Okay, you're going to have to submit to your coach. Yes, I think I think right now he's probably mistreating you, but we're going to submit to him. You know, just that type of connecting the word with the normal ups and downs of life. That's really good, man. This is a really good resource. I'm I'm really grateful uh, for this and encourage parents to get. I know we're, we're going to read it, Angel and I, and really try to apply what you're saying here. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Way Home Podcast. Well, thanks. It's been been a joy to talk with you. Thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.